John Rogers lived in the first part of the 16th century, was actually converted under the ministry of William Tyndale and worked with Tyndale in translating the Bible into the English language, publishing the, the Bible into the English language. Well, uh, he was originally serving under the, the reign of King Edward VI, but after King Edward VI came someone named Queen Mary I. Queen Mary has a, an unfortunate moniker that she earned, and that is Bloody Mary. See, Queen Mary was a, a Catholic ruler who hated the Protestant preachers of England, and John Rogers was one of these. He would preach against the, the false teachings and the heretical doctrines that were coming out of the Catholic Church, and he would stand up for the, the pure, unadulterated Word of God, so much so that Queen Mary thought he must be silenced. And so she had him arrested and imprisoned, sentenced to death. And on February 4th, 1555, John Rogers would le was led to the stake where he would give his life. He walked past his wife, past his 11 children, past countless numbers of people that he had served and ministered to throughout his time as a pastor there in England. And upon reaching the place where he would die, he was given one more opportunity to recant. Deny what you've been teaching. Deny the clear, they didn't put it this way, but deny the clear, unadulterated word of God. To which John Rogers re responded saying this, that which I have preached, I will seal with my blood. There was another man whose name was John Hooper. John Hooper was a pastor around the same time. In fact, just five days later, he would give his life on the same spot. And as Hooper was being led to the stake under the same charges for refusing to stop preaching the pure, unadulterated word of God, he was also implored by those who loved him saying, hey, just recant. We know you don't believe it and think of the good you will do if you will keep serving the Lord. In fact, they said this, Consider, said one man, life is sweet and death is bitter. Life hereafter, you may do good. Think of all the good you could do, John. To this, the noble soldier of Christ returned the memorable answer, the life to come is more sweet and the death to come is more bitter. 7,000 people were on hand to watch John Hooper give his life for refusing to deny the word of God. A few months later in October, of 1555, two other men were led to the stake. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Charges were the same. Stop preaching God's word. They refused and they were sentenced to death. And as Ridley and Latimer were bound back to back at the stake, the flames were lit beneath them. Latimer's final, final words to his dear friend Ridley were this, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man we shall this day, by God's grace, light such a candle in England as I trust shall never be put out. Men, these are faithful, godly men, examples to us of men anchored to God's word, convicted that what we possess in the, the Bible that we hold in our hands is more valuable than anything this life might offer us because this book reveals the truth of God to us, who he is, who we are, and what he, by his grace, did about that through the cross. And these men were given multiple opportunities. Stop preaching. Stop teaching. Stop peddling these things. Stop proclaiming as truth what goes against what the government, what the rulers, what the authorities, what the, the church, the Catholic church at the time says should be taught and preached. And these men, time after time, looked back at their accusers, looked back at their condemners, and they said, we will not abandon God's word. Then this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 119, 105 through 112. And this is a passage that these men embodied with their lives and their deaths. See, this passage in Psalm 119 teaches us that no matter what our circumstances may be, we should always be able to find direction and guidance from the word of God that we should never forsake God's word. One of the commentators on this passage called this section, not losing the way. Another called it, come wind or come weather. Appropriate titles, certainly befitting what some of you in this room are certainly walking through. 
right now, the trials, the valleys, the difficulties that you find yourself facing right now, and yet you know that God's word is reliable. You know that it's trustworthy. You know that it can provide direction and guidance for you. And I don't know what the future is going to hold for us as a, a church, little C, church local here, or church big C, church universal. As far as what direction is going to happen with our government and our nation and our politics and our culture, I don't know. What I do know is it doesn't seem to be getting easier. But man, what I want you to remember is that just like we heard last night, that our God is trustworthy, so too, men, his word is trustworthy no matter what comes. Take your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 119, if you're not already there, verse 105, and let's read together. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. Teach me your rules. I hold my life continually in my hand, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Psalm 119, 105, one of the most familiar verses in all of Scripture. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Some of you men have the dulcet tones of Amy Grant singing in your heads right now. It says your word. It's the Hebrew word devar. It's the word that means message. It's the the message of whom? It's the message of the Lord. This is the word that's used when it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. It's It's a message from the Lord that's delivered to his people. And the The psalmist here is saying, your word, that word, your message, Lord, the the truth that comes from you, that is a a, a light to my feet and my path. Those two words are synonymous in that verse, feet and path, and it has to do with how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves in this world, our behavior. The word is a, a lamp and a light to that. Proverbs 6.23 says this, Proverbs 6.23, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. 2 Samuel 22.29, speaking directly of the Lord, You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. See, men, the word of God illuminates the path that you and I should walk on a daily basis. The word of God speaks into our lives about how we should conduct ourselves, how we should live in this world. The word of God is not simply a book that we read just to learn more and become more knowledgeable, but the word of God should have an impact in how we walk, how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how we day-to-day carry out business in this world that we live in. There's many different sources of wisdom that you and I can turn to on a daily basis for guidance and counsel and instruction and Uh, thoughts on how to navigate the current world that we find ourselves in, the landscape that we find ourselves trying to to walk day by day. But the only one that is proven 100% reliable, trustworthy, accurate, the only one that has 100% success rate as far as its track record goes is the Word of God. As we think about God's Word and anchoring ourselves to God's Word, our first point this morning is this, daily set your course by God's Word. Daily set your course by God's word. Let it be the light and the lamp to your feet every single day. That we must have it in our lives. We must be be depending upon it for guidance, for counsel, for wisdom, for how we should live. In Proverbs 1.15, Solomon says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Speaking of the, the wicked. Do not walk in their way. Hold back your foot from their paths. See, we live in a, a world that if you're not influenced and informed by God's word daily, you're going to be influenced and informed by, God's, by the world daily, rather. And the world, the paths of the world are not the paths of God. If you want to walk the paths of God, you need the daily guidance from his word. Otherwise, the world is all too eager to beckon you to follow their ways. Proverbs 2.12, Solomon speaks of wisdom and says that it delivers us from the way of evil, from the men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness and walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. 
that's the description of someone who's not living their life according to the word of God. I hope all of us in this room, by nature of the fact that we're here, by nature of the fact that we would profess that Jesus is our Savior, would say we want to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. If you want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, man, you have to daily be in God's word, seeking this counsel, seeking this guidance. Proverbs 2.20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. If you will give yourself over to the wisdom of God, you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. Proverbs 4.11, Solomon says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. Proverbs 4, 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So when we read a verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It's talking about, men, the way that we live our lives and whether or not God's word has an influence in how you behave, how you conduct yourself. Your thought life, the words that you speak, your business dealings at work, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids. Is God's word daily influencing and impacting those things? Are you being led by that? Are you submitting to his word and his precepts? Is his word illuminating the path that you should walk? Or are you more influenced and swayed by uh, how to to win friends and, and be successful in the business world, by leadership books, by blog posts, by uh, radio personalities? What's the the loudest voice in your life? And if it's not God's word, then you're not walking according to the path that he wants you to walk. This week, I I tried to learn about the nautical navigation tool called the sextant, because I thought, well, it's an anchored conference, nautical theme, talking about uh, illumination path, walking direction. I read about the sextant from multiple sources, and all I learned was if you stuck me in a boat in the middle of the ocean, I could have all the fuel in the world and all of the manpower in the world, I would die. If all I had was a sextant to try to get back home, because I, I just don't understand it. I mean, I get the general principle. You use this, measure, this instrument to measure the distance of the, the sun and the stars from the horizon in order to determine where you are and what direction you're going. You use the light to, to figure out where to go but I'd be totally lost. Well, the good news is, men, if you have the spirit dwelling within you to discern the light of God's word is far easier than dropping you on a boat in the middle of the ocean saying, here's a sextant, try to figure out your way back home. Because the spirit opens our eyes to be able to understand these things, opens our eyes to be able to, to know what God's word has for us. In fact, one of the implications of Psalm 109, or 119, 105, rather, is that God's word is not just our direction, but that being our direction, that it's knowable, it's understandable. And we find that principle in Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Starting in verse 15, though, Paul's speaking to Timothy. He says, look, from childhood, from the time that you were a child, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You've known the sacred writings from the time that you were a child. That's one of the reasons, men, that we do Awana here at our church, to begin to inform our children of God's Word so that they can treasure these things and store them up. Do they understand the full depth of it? No, but when I asked my, my kids this week, when I said, hey, dad's preaching from Psalm 119, 105, because they're in Awana and treasuring up God's word, they, they were able to rattle off that verse back to me. I mean, it's, it's understandable, it's knowable. Paul says you were acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. They are able to do that. God's word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And then in verse 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God, and notice Paul says profitable. Well, how is it profitable unless it's knowable, unless it's understandable? It's profitable for teaching and for, for, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. God's word is knowable. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 6, 6 through 7 says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. In verse 7, again, notice the emphasis on the children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down or when you rise. They're, they're understandable. They're knowable even to our children. Jesus picks up on this point in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And the word is knowable. So if you're out there going, well, I, I, I get it. I need to, to be guided by God's word, but I don't feel like I can understand God's word. I'm here to tell you, man, you can understand God's word. 
the Spirit is dwelling within you, you can know God's Word. You can ask yourselves, okay, God, what do you want me to change today about my life based on what I just read? How should I think differently? God, I'm going I'm to memorize this verse and store it up in my heart. I'm going to ask that when I need this verse, that the Spirit's going to bring it to my mind. It is knowable. There's some key scriptural lampposts, if you will, that we can think of in God's Word as well. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13 says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to, here's the, the lamppost for us, to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, because his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. That's one of those lampposts. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to conduct my life? Here's a lamppost for you. Another one, Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always, always. How about the New Testament, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus is approached by an expert in the law. Hey, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, here's a lamppost for you, man. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, man, every single day, these are some lampposts in your life that you know clearly. This never changes. Why? Because God's word is unchanging. We don't tamper with this. It's the same today as it was when it was written. And so we read this and we read, okay, God, what do you want for me today? You want me to love you with all that I am and let that overflow into a love for other people as well. Man, that will never change. There's never a day that you're going to wake up and God's going to say, you know what? You can have a day off from loving me and loving others. That's always something to light your path. How about John 13, 34 through 35? Picking up on this, Jesus is in the upper room right before going to the cross. He's just washed the feet of the disciples. Judas is going to betray him. Things are, are, are uncertain, and Jesus says this to his disciples. He says in verse 34 of John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you. I think they were leaned in at this moment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. And then he says this astounding thing here. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, there's another lamppost for you. What does God want me to do today? He wants me to love him and love others. Just, that's a general call. I need to love others, no matter who they are or where they are. But then there's a specific call, too. I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because our love for one another, men, our affection for one another, our unity together is one of the signs to the world that we are followers of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Pastor Mark's going to come and, and deal with this concept of mission more. But here's another lamppost. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. As you wake up daily, men, and you say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? What's the path you want me to walk? Well, part of that is he wants you to walk making disciples along the way. These texts are, are those static sources of light for us. These don't change for us. Love God with all you are and love others. Love one another. Make disciples. But then there's also a, a, a dynamic element to this as well. And that is that as you daily spend time in the word, a question should be as you do your DBR each morning, okay, what light is this shedding on my path for today? How is this informing the way that I should conduct myself today, the way that I should live my life today? What should that look like? Or men, as you face trials and difficulties in life, you should be asking, do I know of any passage in God's word that's gonna illuminate, shed light on, provide guidance for how I should proceed in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this, this trial? Or as you face temptation, you should be asking, man, what light from God's word is going to illuminate the path of escape so I can flee from this temptation? That's a dynamic using God's word daily to illuminate our paths. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, we are walkers through the city of this world, and we are often called to go out into its darkness. Let us never venture there without the light-giving word, lest we slip with our feet. And this is why the psalmist goes on to say in verse 106, 
I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm not going anywhere. Well, this book is not going to depart from me. I'm going to hold fast. I've sworn an oath. I'm binding myself by you, Lord, that I'm going to keep your righteous rules because I need this. But there's a problem, right? Because there's some churches that are going to preach to you, if you do that, your life is going to be fine. Your life is going to be easy. But unlike when you go camping and you set up your campfire not far from your tent and you sit by the campfire and then eventually it's time for bed, you put the campfire out and you stand up to walk back to your tent and it's not far away and you've got a flashlight, you turn the flashlight on, it's a short path and it's easy to get from the campfire back to your tent. Well, men, sometimes in life, though we have the light of God's word, the path that we walk is still fraught with danger. It's still a difficult path that we walk and we will encounter opposition. Look at verse 107. The psalmist says, I am severely afflicted. Yeah, your word, God, is a light to my path and it's a lamp to my feet. And I'm going to keep your righteous rules. And yet I find myself severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. I worship you, God. Teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. He says there, I'm, I'm severely afflicted. It's a word that communicates a physical bending over, doubling over in pain and anguish. If this was written by David, which there's a good chance that it was, you think about everything that David went through, the persecution from his enemies, King Saul pursuing him, trying to, to take his life, Absalom, his son, usurping his throne, he goes on, he says, I, not only am I severely afflicted, he describes it further, he says, I hold my life in my hand. It's a, a metaphor for you're one breath away from death, is basically what he's saying. He's saying, I, I'm risking my life daily. I'm always in danger, always in peril. Why? Because he says, the wicked have laid a snare for me. Earlier in Psalm 119, he defined this snare, the, the, the wicked in their plots against him in verses 85 through 87. It says, the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. They're lying about me. They're slandering me. Help me, he says. They've almost made an end of me on earth, but I have still not forsaken your precepts. And see, that's the thing, man. I want you to notice, yeah, the path gets rocky, but notice the psalmist is saying, so I need something else. I need better light. I need a better lamp because, God, I'm following. Your lamp is the light. It is the lamp. Your, your word is, rather. But, hey, my life is still difficult. I'm severely afflicted. I, I'm, my life is in danger. I'm risking my life, God. I need something better than your word. That's not what he says, is it? Instead, he says he, he doubles down on God's word, doesn't he? He says, give me life according to what? Your, your word, God. Look, I'm going to worship you, Lord. Accept my free will offerings of praise. I'm going to praise you, Lord, in spite of the fact that I'm severely afflicted. And as I praise you, God, teach me your rules. Teach me your word. Give me a better understanding of it. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. I will not forget your promises. I will hold fast to the word. The wicked, yeah, they've laid a snare for me, but, but God, I do not stray from your precepts. In the middle of our section, uh, of our passage here, the psalmist pulls back the curtain on real life, right? And it's not all the Instagram stories of your Bible laid out with your cup of coffee and, you know, time in the word was so rich this morning, praise the Lord, PTL, hashtag. Yeah. No, man, sometimes we're reading the word through tears, aren't we? Heartache, sorrow. And sometimes we're reading the word through depression. And we don't always know why. Sometimes we're reading the word through, through fear, through anxiety. Sometimes we're reading the word through frustration and anger. 
I can put it some, this way. Sometimes, men, we are reading the word in the foxhole, not the four seasons. But here's the key. The key is that we keep the word with us, in us, and us in it. We can't forsake God's word. Even when you are struggling, men, even when it's dark, even when you don't understand, even when your marriage is on the rocks and you don't know because you can't change your wife, even when your kids are straying and wandering, even when they're departing from your teaching and your instruction, even when you look at the, the decisions made from a political spectrum and you say, what is going on? Man, we cannot abandon God's word. This is always and will be always truth. John 17, your word is truth, period. That's the end of the story right there. We talked about the character of God last night. He's not caught off guard by anything that's happening in your life. Remember, he's omniscient. He doesn't learn anything. Man, there's nothing going on in your life that he doesn't have an answer for. There's nothing going on in your life that, that his arm is too short that he cannot deliver you from. And he's given us his word and said, hold fast to my word. And that's what the psalmist is teaching us right now as well. He's saying, look, no matter what comes, I'm going to hold fast to God's word. That's point number two. This morning it's this, cling fast to God's word despite opposition. Cling fast to God's word despite opposition. And opposition will come because we live in a dark and fallen and broken world. And so if you are setting yourself to live by the word of God, you are setting yourself to live in opposition to the enemy and his world's system. And so if I can put it this way, buckle up. Because it's not going to be smooth. The ride is not going to be smooth. Yeah, it wasn't for our psalmist either. Again, if this is David, you think about everything that he went through. It was not a smooth ride for King David, and yet he came back and said, I'm going to still trust you. Your word is still my source of life. Give me life. Where? According to your word. It was still the source of his guidance. It was still to be praised, and God was still to be praised for his word. It was still to be remembered. It was still to be followed. David recognized, look, God, your word is the light to my feet and the lamp to my path, not just when my path is easy and smooth, but also when my path is fraught with danger and difficult. Amen. It's those times when we need it all the more because this world is not a friendly place for us. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching some difficult things there. We're going to get there with our men's Bible study shortly. But it says this in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They didn't want the word to illuminate their path the way that God wanted the word to illuminate their path. They wanted a different kind of direction, different kind of guidance. And so Jesus turned to the 12 and said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so, men, when it gets difficult to obey the word in this world, that needs to be our mindset. Yeah, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian in this world. But we shouldn't be shocked at that. I mean, when we read the New Testament, we read that, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus and Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. If you're going to follow the word of God, if you're going to use this as the light to illumine your path and walk according to its ways, man, you're going to be walking upstream against this world. And yet we need to say, where else are we going to go? Because God has the words of life. God has the words of life. David wrote this in Psalm 23, a familiar passage. He says, he, God, you, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And then David says this, even though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? Well, he says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Man, we need to hold fast to the word of God. So that means, yes, if you lose your job, man, the word is still your lamp and your light to your path. 
when your wife has sinned against you. Man, the word is still your light and your lamp to your path. When your children are rebelling and walking away from not only you but also the Lord, your, the word of God is still the lamp and the light to your path. When your health gets attacked or threatened by some virus or cancer, your word, the word of God, is still a light and a lamp to your path. And if your retirement craters because of an economic collapse, God's word is still the light and the lamp to your path. The passages that we looked at earlier, these spiritual lampposts that God has provided for us, love him with everything that we are and love other people. Love one another. For by this, everyone will know that you are my followers. Go and make disciples. Man, how many of those are given contingencies? None of them. How many of those are circumstantial? None of them. And so tomorrow, if you wake up without a job, you at least know what God wants of you. He wants you to love him with all you are and love others. He wants you to love one another, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and he wants you to go and make disciples. You can at least cling fast to that and then begin to daily say, okay, how am I going to decide to be faithful to those tasks as I navigate what's in front of me? Man, if your wife leaves you, if your wife cheats on you and abandons you, then you can still come back and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? You want me to love you with all that I am and love other people. You want me to love one another as Christ has loved me. You want me to go and make disciples. Man, if your health gets threatened by a virus or cancer, you still know what God wants from you, don't you? See, that's why we can hold fast, because this book never changes because its author doesn't change. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25, we read this. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. Peter says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, he says, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, stay faithful to the Lord, faithful to what he has called you to, faithful to his word, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to you, to this, rather, you have been called. To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you at an example so that you might follow in his steps. Here's the example from Jesus. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here it is. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And sometimes when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, the word of God is a lamp to your feet so that you can come to it and remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of his promises. Remind yourself of his faithfulness. Remind yourself that he never changes so that you can cling fast to those things. Yeah, again, man, if, if the word is a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path, expect opposition in this world. Expect the path to get bumpy, to get rough, to get slick. But rather than abandon God's word, lean in all the more to God's word. In fact, this is such a theme in Psalm 119. Just listen to a few of these. Psalm 119.51. Psalm 119.51. The insolent, they utterly deride me. They're mocking me. They are, they're obliterating me. They're, they're mocking me, deriding me. But the psalmist says, but, but I do not turn away from your law. Verse 69 of 119. The, the insolent, they smear me with lies. They're slandering me with falsehood, but... But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts, God. Verse 83, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. I'm drying out. I feel like I'm cracking, deteriorating from persecution. But yet, I have not forgotten your statutes. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth. They've almost killed me, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Verse 95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Verse 109, I hold my life, this is our passage, I hold my life in my hand continually. I'm in constant peril, but, but I do not forget your law. 
verse 110. The wicked, they've laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. And expect opposition, but cling fast to the word of God. Anchor yourself to the word of God. Because in the good times and the bad, it's still the light. It's still the lamp to your feet and to your path. It still guides us, and it's still our safety net. It's our comfort. It's our rod and our staff as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Which is why the psalmist concludes on a positive note in verse 111. In 112, he says, Your testimonies, they are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. He says, they're my heritage. They're my inheritance. They're my possession. This, I, he's saying, I look at this book. He would have said the Torah and not like this. But we can look at this, right? And he would say, this is so valuable to me. I would look at it as somebody would look at an inheritance of millions of dollars. This is my heritage. Exceedingly valuable to me. Greater than, than all the wealth in the world is the word of God. And circumstances don't change its inherent value. It is not valuable based on the, the life that we are experiencing. No, it's, it's valuable, period. He says, they're my heritage forever. In other words, I'm never going to find anything better. Once we have been, our, our eyes have been opened, 2 Corinthians 4, once the veil has been removed, and now we can see clearly Jesus and we believe in his word and we believe in God and we hold fast to this and we say this is the truth. This is his, his word revealed to us who he is. Man, there's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than the word of God. There's no greater message than the message contained in these 66 books about who God is, who we are, and what he did about that through Jesus for us. That's it. It doesn't get any better than that. Because this is the only book with a message that transcends death. This is the only book with a message that gets you beyond the grave. This is the only book with a message that lets you look coronavirus or cancer or a, a, a persecution in the face and say, bring it because I know the one that's going to win in the end. This is it. You're my heritage forever. Why? They're the, they're the joy of my heart. I delight in your word. I delight in your precepts. I delight in your testimonies. So he says, I incline my heart. I purpose. I have intentionally decided, set my mind to perform your statutes, to obey your word forever to the end. The psalmist says, I'm not going anywhere. It's so valuable, so precious. So I'm going to incline my heart. I'm going to set myself. Man, that's what we're talking about. When we're saying daily set your course by God's word, cling fast to his word, this is an intentionality. This is you deciding, saying, I'm going to let this be my guide. I'm going to submit myself to this book and its guidance and its direction. I'm going to incline my heart to obey your statutes, your words, your commandments forever to the end. And in doing so, he says it's, it's a joy. It's a joy. And that's our final wet reason why we hold fast to the word tonight, verse, or this morning. It's verse three. Choose, point three. Choose the joy of the word over that of the world. Choose the joy of the word over that of the world. There is a satisfaction that accompanies sanctification. There's a, a delight that accompanies devotion. In fact, that's how our psalm, Psalm 119, that's how it begins. Verses 1 through 3. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. The word blessed there means happy. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. There's a joy, there's a happiness, there's a contentment, there's a satisfaction that comes when we are faithful to the word and faithful to the Lord. When his word is the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. When we are holding fast to his word despite opposition. There's an abiding joy that we experience. In fact, take your Bibles, flip back, oh, about 100 chapters to Psalm 19. That's the first time I've ever said flip back 100 chapters and still been in the same book. 
Flip back to Psalm 19. There's parallels, obviously, between Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 if you've read through the Psalms because Psalm 19 is like the abridged version of Psalm 119. It's talking about the Word of God. Both are dealing with God's Word. But look at Psalm 19. Pick up in verse 7, and let's look here. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, they're right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." Man, do you believe these things tonight or this morning? Do you believe these things? Do you believe that God's word is perfect? Do you believe that God's word revives the soul? Have you experienced that, I should ask, maybe? The word of God reviving your soul as it gives us wisdom. Man, have you experienced that that God's word can rejoice your heart? That there's joy to be found in abiding in the word and obeying the Lord? That it enlightens the eyes. This is where it gets in our kitchen a little bit. Do you believe that God's word is more precious than gold? If you could have all the money of Bill Gates, all the money of, of Elon Musk, all the money of the guy, Jeff Bezos, right? If you could have all of that money and the demand was, give me your Bible in exchange, would you do it? Do you believe that God's word is more valuable, more precious than that? Do you crave God's word? He says, then, then honey, right? Uh, let me modernize that for us, right? Then good barbecue, which we still have yet to experience out here, okay? <laughs> Getting ready to go to Texas in a couple of years. You can come down and have some good barbecue. When I'm there, though, it's like my first stop. There's this one place, Hutchins Barbecue in McKinney. If you know, you know. And it's, I can't wait to get there. In fact, I can taste the brisket in my mouth right now. It is, not, there's, people have brisket out here. It's not brisket. It's like they, they scraped up a possum from the side of the road and slapped it on a plate. And said, hey, come have this. It's brisket. It's not brisket. Man, when you got Chipotle saying they're offering brisket, come on now. It's fighting words. No, but whatever that is for you, right? For me, it's, 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 uh, it's Hutchins, it's their brisket. Whatever that great food is that you're like, you can't wait to have it, you salivate over it. Man, do you do that over the word of God? Can you, is, is your mindset in the morning, man, I can't wait to get up and get after that. Maybe you're more of a dessert guy, right? Chocolate, peanut butter, ice cream from Tillamook, that's me. Sometimes I'm eating dinner thinking about ice cream. Like, man, I can't wait until my kids get to bed so I can grab the carton out by myself, pull the lid off with a spoon, and sit down on the couch. Is that our mindset when we get up in the morning in God's word? Man, I can't wait to dig into God's word. Why? Because it's valuable. Because it's precious. Because it's my light. It's my light. I need it. I crave it. I want it like that. Man, do you believe that in keeping God's word, there is great reward? More than in compromise. When you face temptation and you think about the reward that temptation offers you, do you believe that there's greater reward in saying no to your flesh and saying yes to the word? I believe that if you know Christ as your Savior and you're here today, you know the joy that our author is talking about. You've experienced the the seasons of prolonged obedience to the Lord where you felt this joy and this clear-minded focus and this satisfaction and this confidence in your relationship with him, right? That's part of the joy that he's talking about there. But you've also, no doubt, also experienced the opposite when you've neglected the word. You haven't been obedient to God and you've felt this, this cloud over your relationship with God. You felt like it's a struggle. You felt frustrated. You've lacked that abiding joy. Man, let me ask you, which do you prefer? And if you're in that moment right now where you're feeling the cloud, 
You're saying, I don't know how to get out. It starts with opening up the word and saying, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It starts with saying, here's the lampposts. I'm going to love you with all that I am. I'm going to love others. It starts by starting to make that change, inclining your heart, as the psalmist says. I purpose, I set myself. I'm going to choose your word over anything else. And I was thinking of why the word is so good this week. And I came up with a list, and you can probably add more, and I would encourage you to, but here's what I came up with as I was thinking. The word is sufficient, right? Lacks nothing. We have everything that we need contained in the word of God. All that's necessary for life and godliness, we have it right here. It's sufficient. The word is clear. We talked about earlier. We can understand his word. We serve an infinite God who's revealed himself to a finite mind in a way that we can comprehend and understand. The word is unchanging. There's not editors that are coming to this going, yeah, we can improve this. The word is unapologetic. It's unapologetic. Because it's unchanging, it's also unapologetic about that fact. The word's not worried about being on the wrong side of history. The word is the word, period, end of story, and it's not going to apologize for that. The word is timeless. The gospel that saves us saved Peter and Paul and John and James, Cornelius. It's the same message. The word is hope-filled. Again, it transcends here and now. It transcends viruses. It transcends circumstances. It transcends difficulties and relationships, and it transcends death. The word is hope-filled. The word is from God. It's inspired. It's, it's his words to us. Nothing else can say that. Because it's from God, the word is also authoritative. It is an authority to which we can turn and submit ourselves and obey it. The word is eternal. flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord, what? Endures forever. It's eternal. The word is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4. Man, it pierces. It gets after us. It's diagnostic, right? It's the scalpel. The word is diagnostic. It's the, the, the scalpel in the divine surgeon's hand. He's laying us open and saying, here's what needs to come out. The word is penetrating. The word is convicting. The word is corrective. The word is instructive. The word is redemptive. The word is equipping. And the word is healing. And the word is comforting. That's my list. You can add to that. Choose the joy of the word over the, the joy of the world. Well, if I can quote as we wrap up here from the theological masterpiece that is the opening to Family Matters. It starts out what? It's a rare condition in this day and age to read any good news on the newspaper page. And they had no idea, did they? Back at TJIF in the 90s, thinking that that was bad news? In fact, during the height of the pandemic, when everything was shut down, this guy named John Krasinski uh, started a, a video blog, a vlog, um, that was on YouTube, and it was called Some Good News. Here's a guy that's not a believer, not a Christian, recognizing the hopelessness of the world, going, we crave good news. And so he started this 15, 20-minute show where he went around and tried to find good stories in the midst of all of the chaos and the fear and the anxiety going on in the world. And we don't need some good news. We've got the good news. 
Yeah, it is a rare condition to read any good news today. If you open up your news browser right now, it's not going to be good. News flash, things are bad. But we have the good news. My question is, are you being guided by this? Are you holding fast to this? Are you anchored with your confidence in your security or this? Or are you being discouraged by the darkness all around us? This world and its wisdom are far from stable and trustworthy. But as we heard last night, our God is stable and trustworthy. His character is, his promises are. And the best way, men, that you can grow in your confidence in this God is by holding fast to his word. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for that reality that you are an unchanging, reliable, trustworthy God who has given us an unchanging, reliable, trustworthy word. Lord, I'm thankful that you have not turned us over to the wisdom of men and called us to, to live our lives by a motivational speaker or live our lives by the headlines each day or live our lives by some political talk show host. But, but God, you have given us a word that cuts through all of that and says this is truth. And it's timeless, and it's eternal, and it's, it diagnoses us in our greatest problems. It convicts us of our sin. It corrects us so that we can pursue righteousness. It instructs us in what you would have us do. It heals us so that we can be restored in right relationship with you. It comforts us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God, we are so thankful for your word. And Lord, I thank you that there's a, a joy that comes with obeying it, a joy that comes in being faithful to your word, a joy that's intangible and almost indescribable because it's an abiding joy that comes from the spirit dwelling within us that enables us, just like those men that we open with, faithful men, faithful preachers, to be able to say, I'm gonna choose your word above and beyond anything else because your word is far more valuable because of the message it contains is about a God who is far more valuable than anything in this world. God, we don't know what's coming for us, but we know your word is here and it's not going anywhere and it's gonna stay and we can trust it and we can hold on to it and we can abide by it and we can live by it and it can be the light to our feet and the light to our path. God, make us faithful men to your word. Entrench it in our minds. Emblazon it at the forefront of our minds. Fill our heads with it, Lord. Get your words stuck in our heads like a song lyric that we can't get rid of. And keep it there. And transform us in the process more and more into the image of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.